Rusty Quill presents. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. It is now May of 2020. It's weird out there. We'll try not to get into it. I, myself, have been writing. Oh my god. I can't stop. I mean, I know, I know that's, uh, I know that doesn't make any sense. Tyler, you you are a writer. We are listening to this podcast because you can write, not because you're that interesting when you talk about talk about your life. Uh, but man, that, that has been my life recently. I think because I can't leave, I I am just focused all the time on on the word processor. And and, and I actually don't have a word processor anymore. I, I've switched everything gets to a point in your life where you realize that, you know, things are, 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 are slipping by and not maybe, not maybe necessarily in a bad way or, or anything other than just a, a neutral way. You know, the way that the, the coast slips by you when you're, when you're in a current floating down a river. I guess it's not really the coast, it's a riverbank, but you know what I mean. How I wouldn't really just kill to be on a river right now. You know, canoe, kayak, about five tons of SPF 90 suntan lotion on because my pale Irish ass will get burnt to a fucking crisp. And uh, just drinking a beer out of a floating cooler. That would be amazing right now. But, you know, hey can't get out there can't and i don't know i don't know who to be afraid of anymore which is weird because i'm supposed to be the uh, i'm supposed to be the fear guy am i supposed to be afraid of the the politicians who are telling me to stay home am i supposed to be afraid of my insane neighbors out here in louisville kentucky who are showing up at the courthouse steps with guns in hand demanding demanding an end to tyranny i don't know i mean i i have a pretty good idea i'm gonna say i'm gonna say the overweight uh, middle-aged dudes that are are showing up in badly fitting body armor, carrying guns that I'm ninety percent sure they don't have the money to regularly fire, much less maintain and practice with to a, a reasonable level of proficiency. I'm going to say that they're not necessarily the good guys in their own minds. In their own minds, they're the best of men and the worst of men. Uh, but it is, it is, it is a strange, a strange day, but things are slipping by, you know, it's going to be weird thinking about this in a couple years when it's all behind us. I feel like this is a major event, obviously. I mean, you know, I don't have to, you don't have to have a lot of insight to know that what's going on right now is a, 
a fairly serious thing world worldwide. But I, I always, I, I read a lot, you know, and I, I've read a lot and I always think of things in context as best as I, as best I can. So, you know, this is just, this, this is just 2020. It's just the spring of 2020, uh, spring and fall and winter of the last year, I guess, if you're, if you're the kind of people that have been getting affected by COVID since whatever, when the November, I guess, was the earliest breakouts, you know, somewhere overseas. And I know it's probably not a lot of Chinese language speaking listeners of this podcast, but there are people that lived over there. So, you know, if you got stuck there or in a quarantine, my heart goes out to you. I hope that you're better now or that you're at least not infecting other people. But things slip by. Things like that slip by, you know. Uh, what really brings that to mind is just the, the different things I've been writing on in my life. You know, when I started out, the first, uh, the first thing I ever wrote on to the, in, in a way where I was actually, you know, writing, not, you know, the first thing I think I ever typed on was a ancient floppy disk, not, not, not just a 3.5 floppy, but a, a, a 5.5, I think they are 5.5, the really thin, the floppy disks that actually flopped. We had those at my my Catholic grade school when I was a kid, and you had to put those floppy disks in for the goddamn computer to do anything. It would just sit there blank if it didn't have some sort of disk in it. And these things actually had fans on the back that you had to turn on individually. But the first computer I ever really wrote on, where I was writing stuff for me, stuff that was fiction, and that I could uh, that I could I could hold and I could keep, was uh, my parents' IBM something or other. It was a black desktop computer where the uh, monitor had a big spring base, a big rubberized spring base. It was a, a long piece of metal that would kind of bounce if you touch the computer the wrong way, which I, I suppose would keep it, you know, from clattering around on a desk back in the day. And the computer itself, the actual, that was the monitor, the computer itself was a, uh, a push-top, collapsible, flat thing. It, it's uh, fairly... Similar in size to, uh, I don't know, what, what is it similar in size to? Like a modem, about the same size, maybe a, a large, a large uh, modem-router combo. It was about that big, and it sat inside that spring base, and you could press the top of it to open it, and it would, and then it had the buttons to turn it on, and inside all of that was a, uh, CD-ROM disk drive. It had the big CD-ROM logo on it. I don't know if you all remember that. Pretty sure some of my audience is, is old enough. No, that's not just a CD player. That's CD-ROM. <laughs> and then a couple years after that, you had DVD-ROM. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. But what I used the most was the 3.5-inch floppy disk insert so that I could put my stories on it. And I thought that there was a lot of power in having a story in your pocket. Uh, it sounds a little bit more magical now than, than maybe it was back then. But what, what I would do is I would have, you know, my little stories that I, I would go down there and, and between video games and really honestly, when I thought my mom wouldn't find me writing, not because she wouldn't be supportive, but because she would be overly supportive and try to force me to finish stuff. You know, you know why, aren't, why aren't you ever finishing these, writing, these, these stories you, you're trying to write? And I would tell her in my mind, in arguments that we never had, that it was because I, I, I thought they, they sucked. 
And the thing is, if I go back in time and talk to younger me and, and, and I could put my hand on my, on my younger self's shoulder and look directly into my eyes, I would, I would say they do. Those stories are fucking garbage, <laughs> but it gets better. Keep practicing. Don't worry. The first story you or the first song you ever bang out on a six string isn't going to sound like, you know, Mozart. It's not even going to sound like Bob Dylan. <laughs> but uh, I would I would have each one of these floppy disks, and you could buy them from, uh, eventually when I started buying them, I bought them from, at the high school bookstore, and Oak Hills High School in sunny Cincinnati, Ohio. And they're all multicolored. You know, that, that sort of uh, see-through, brightly colored plastic that was just everywhere back in the the late 90s early 2000s i think people just finally figured out how to make see-through plastic at that point that was somewhat durable and so everything was made out of it game boys were made out of it every n64 that you came across was see-through purple and uh all the controllers were too some of the playstations were see-through but not very many the uh the, the 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 sony corporation wasn't having it I think they were so upset by see-through plastic that after the uh, after the PlayStation was over, they said, no, nothing but black consoles and black controllers from here on out. <laughs> but I got a multicolored plastic 3x5 or 3.5-inch floppy disk, which are, for those of you who might not know what that is, a floppy disk is a piece of plastic with a magnetic tape, a magnetic disk tape inside, very similar to uh, a cassette tape, which you also probably don't know anything about, but... This magnetic tape had something in the order of, I think, two megabytes, maybe three megabytes of memory, which is about half the size of the average photo you can take on a smartphone. But it's more than enough to fit an entire story. I think the longest story I've written so far in my life, something like 140,000 words is only 210 kilobytes, and that's mostly because it's on a modern word processor with all sorts of rich text format and other assorted horse shittery attached to it. But, you know, at the time, it was still a little indulgent to have one story on each one of those. But the the discs were kind of going by the wayside and they were a dollar a piece. And there was something very, very powerful about having that disc in your hand and putting it in the slot and clack. And you could open a dock a dot doc, not doc X, a dot doc, Word document on any computer, anywhere. And it was my story, you know. And I would bring it to school and I would work on it in the library computer, which I, I, I think to this day, the librarian at the time, and I apologize, I, I do not remember her name, but she was a very sweet lady and probably gave me the first and best bit of writing advice I've ever gotten, which I'll get into in a second. But, you know, I would go in there and I would, I would, I would sit and I would, I would type aimlessly which i thought was stupid at the time because i i I was involved in god-awful writing advice things like you have to have an outline before you start if you don't have an outline then you you won't know what to write which is so fundamentally wrong it's almost backwards advice it doesn't make sense to 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 an older me that's like saying uh Make sure you know every step you're going to take on the way up the mountain. If you know you're going up the mountain, you don't need much more direction than that. And if you do, it's always okay to stop along the way and backtrack. 
which is a much better way to navigate than just saying, you know, I'm going to walk 20 feet forward. I'm going to take a 15 degree heading to the left. You know, that, that's how that's how you program a robot. It's not how you it's not how you go on a journey, and it's definitely not how you take other people on a journey with you. In my humble opinion, if you have to write with an outline, please continue to do so. Also, spend more time writing out your character sketches than you do actually writing the characters. <laughs> it'll 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 work out well for you in the end. And I'm only making these jokes because it's things I used to do that I learned better than to continue doing. Uh, but I digress. I I would I would write those. I would I would write and I would type. And I remember my first awful story. Uh, I cannot remember the name of it, but I remember that the name character the main character's name was Relight Leb, which is Tyler Bell spelled backwards, which I thought was terribly terribly clever. And I think one of my teachers made fun of me for it. She's like, how do you come up with place names and these character names? And at the time, I was like, it's just, you know, hidden genius. I think she was like, you know, you're not the first author to ever write their name backwards as a main character. It wasn't a terrible in self-insert fiction. I, I, I thank God for that. But, you know, it was just a weird kid story about uh, people in space. Uh, little space cadet kids that worked lived in were lived and worked at different schools in space on different planets and they were all training to be uh assassins and soldiers and uh to go out there and there's a, a greater quest to find seven uh weapons that were also keys that would open a door to something and I, even I didn't know what the thing was technically I still don't know what the thing is today cuz I stopped writing that goofy motherfucker I'm even I'm describing it to myself and I'm still like, well, I mean, you know, I guess I might I might pick that book up if I was on a on a long flight. <laughs> I digress. The uh story I tried to start writing began with a three page. And by the way, I was I was writing these some of this, I was writing freehand in a composition notebook and then just transcribing onto the uh onto the floppy disks and I got some of that off and I let my librarian read it. And she's like, you know, you don't have to start every story with a, a three page narration of the, of the previous events, like a overly long star Wars text crawl. And I, I took that to heart and I do that to this day. And the irony of that is that I harshly judge other authors that do it. I don't care if they're famous or, or not. If you, if you start your story off with a very long, you know, in the time before man knew what man was, there were the ancients, and they spoke in the voice of whispers and blah, 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 blah that sort of stuff. I, I, I judge, uh, and immediately I try to get myself back on track and say, no, no, let people do what they need to do to get their story out. And sometimes those are actually very, very good and interesting. But because my, my, my librarian was like, maybe not the best move when I was a kid, I, I still... I still put that in the uh, in the same spectrum as as maybe not good writing, not maybe not bad, but definitely misadvised. But things pass you by, and that's really the point I was trying to make: is that you know you don't have those those discs anymore. Though somewhere, maybe in my parents' house, those three by five or three point five floppies are still around, you know. But I don't use them anymore. You can't really. I'd have to search online for a floppy disk reader, plug it in, and 
hopefully those things are in the right format. I mean, I was writing that on, on Windows XP 99 or XP. So Jesus. And you know, that was, that was word. And then after that, I wrote on a laptop much later when I was in the Marines. I remember I tried to start some stories up and another story about assassins. I had assassins on the brain when I was a kid. I don't know why. <laughs> I actually, I don't, I, I, I find it odd almost that I don't ever try to write about them anymore. Maybe it's because I started so many failed stories with assassins as the main characters that I, I, I eventually just took a step back. And, you know, after that it was college because I, I, I got almost nothing done writing wise while I was in the Marine Corps for, you know, obvious reasons. The war was slightly more important on the, on the day-to-day scheme of things. And then once I was in college, you know, I had plenty to write for college, but I still tried to write stuff. And I, I stopped trying to write assassin stuff. I think I got all the, uh, the, the childish, childish fascination with the power of violence out of me once I had that power well and fully under my control to the point where it was readily evident that solving problems with pain is not the not remotely conducive to a healthy lifestyle. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And so I started writing about guys moving away from that sort of stuff. And I think that was when I first started writing personal things. Uh, the first personal thing I ever tried to write was this story called Huskers, which I thought was going to be a short story and then tried to take off. And I sort of lost. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The courage to continue on with it because it's about a guy that comes home from war and it's that, it's that sort of story. And I think I really wasn't emotionally ready to write it. Uh, I was going through bad things. 2012 but you know time slips on and then I was a I was a real writer I was a real writer I was a graduated I got a job as a journalist won some awards moved to West Virginia met Sam subsequently began the crumbling end of my semi-auspicious much cursed journalism career and in that time when I wrote I wrote on all sorts of programs you would think it would be word. It is not. Uh, actually, all the, the best ones that I wrote in Williston, North Dakota were on word. And then once I went to, I guess you'd say real journalistic, uh, real newsrooms is what I mean to say. They all have insane programs that you have to write on that you, uh, you as, a, as a typical civilian would have never heard of. Things like Newsgate and... Uh, I can't remember the name of the other one, but it, they're god awful. They look like shit. <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's really like uh, typing on an old nineteen late eighties, early nineties black screen with the green, you know, ugly looking font. One of those things is basically functionally just text input. And you actually write 
the way that mine was set up and I couldn't figure out how to change the damn formatting on it. You actually write in columns so that you can see how long your story is going to be in the greater context of the newspaper, which I already knew how to do because I had, I know how to translate word count to inches in my head. Uh, very, very stupidly, not complex, but specific newspaper stuff that you guys don't need to know, but an inch is literally an, an inch in columns. So a column is almost universally the same width and the inches don't move. They don't change too much, but 750 words, I think it is, is about 15 inches and 15 inches is about a basic news story. Anything under 15 inches isn't going to usually touch the front page unless it's like, uh, some sidebar content, really short three inch stories. Three inch story is something you've probably seen a million times, you know, uh, Congress reconvening after six days break. Congress is planning on reconvening after six days. More on this story to come. Blah, 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 blah. That actually, a story like that probably have to be much, much longer, but I digress. I wrote in all these ridiculous programs, you know, and so when I was finally done with that and I went back to Word again on my old desktop, it was a, it was a very comfortable putting on an old pair of shoes and so I tried to stick with Word, and I was writing on Word 2010 all the way up until 2019, hilariously enough. And I, I remember the, the beginning of the end times coming about this time last year, or maybe actually this time two years ago, when every time I turned on Word on any of my, my things, and this is a, the Word 2010 that I bought in college, and for, I think, $6 is how much they, they make you pay for that program, and... You know, you can keep putting it on computer after computer. By the time I finally got to my new desktop that I'm talking to you guys right now and I'm watching my my wave patterns and signs flicker around on the screen, by the time I got to this computer, my subscription, I guess, had lapsed or, or something. But basically, they did some mealy-mouth, weedly-weedly shit where I couldn't install it again. And they just refused to accept that I, I had bought the program. And, you know, fair enough, whatever. I bought it when I was a student. So I said, hey, why not try uh, the new Word? Word 2020 or whatever it is. But it's not Word anymore. It's uh, basically Google Docs, but you pay $250 a year for it. Not $250 one time, $250 a year. And it's just part of the the bigger office package, which is a bunch of, you know, horse shit that you don't fucking need unless you really need it. And actually, Google has better stuff on it. And I actually wrote all of Monstro, for those Monstro fans of you, uh, of, of mine out there, on Word. And had to put it onto Google Docs for the processing as part of it. All the things that we had to do to make the story come out, you know the script reading and that sort of shit. I got put onto Google Docs and changed by Jack Luna after that and then eventually read and all that sort of nonsense. But uh, those, those I, I remember looking at Google Docs and being like, bah, I will never write in this. It's, it's, so, it's so lame, so, so bourgeois. And now I've already written a whole fucking novel in it. <laughs> and I'm about, I'm about halfway into another one. And it's probably the best word processor I've ever used. There's some things about it that aren't perfect. I wish that it had a, a, a constant word count. But other than that, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty good. 
but things pass on. You know, things keep going. The, the river keeps sliding you down. And it's odd to think that it's been 20 years since I was that kid, almost 20 years now, putting little plastic floppy disks in the, the free computer, the one free computer in the library at my high school. And now I'm talking to thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands. I, I try not to check my numbers because they always make me sad. Because once they get up to a certain level, you think that that's the level they should be at. When they dip back down, ooh, the serotonin don't flow, boy. The serotonin do not flow. But it is weird, you know. I didn't know what the river would look like at this point in my life. I honestly think I didn't. I wouldn't live this long. And that's not, you know, a casual thing to say for a for a guy looking back on a time as a teenager when the World Trade Center was getting knocked down. You know, that's the context of this story. That's when I was writing these things and using that floppy disks, 2001 to 2002, 2003, the Iraq War, Operation Phantom Fury. You remember those years? George W. Bush is president. We thought we'd never survive it. We thought we were fucked. Good and bad, you know? Left and right. Everybody was pretty sure this was going to be the end times, though. Al-Qaeda folks are going to get their hands on the nukes finally, steal them from the Pakistanis and blow up the earth, and that would be it. The river goes on, man. It just flows on down the road, and then you have other things to worry about. The war sort of ends, and you have to put your life back together when you're not a, a, a killer anymore. You're not even a particularly fearsome specimen in the eyes of the much younger men around you you know i'm 32 nowadays when i was 22 man i was a vicious beast 235 strapping now i'm old and fat (laughs) but you know the river goes on and it flows down and i think the end of this speech before i get into the actual discussion of stuff is just going to be you know hold on i know it's bad i know it's bad I've heard stories of, you know, this hospital director that killed herself because the COVID was, you know, too much to deal with, all the stressors of it. and People are, are falling apart out there. I know some of you have lost their jobs. I, I've talked to some of you online. I've, you know, seen some of you online talking about it. Me giving you the old thoughts and prayers isn't going to help that much, but just know that you're not alone out there. And the river keeps moving. And it's going to keep going. And this isn't the last bad thing that you're ever going to face. And the good thing about that is you're going to have good things to face on the way to that next little hiccup. That next uh, ugly, shallow, rocky part of the, wa- of, the, of the river, of the water. So, you know, stick in there and let the water flow by. And, you know, maybe uh, stick around with me and hear me go on for 25 minutes about my next word processor in, in 2025. So, on to today's discussions. The random horror recommendation of this month is Event Horizon, the 1997 science fiction fo- My apologies. The 1997 science fiction horror film directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, written by Philip Eisner, starring Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, 
Kathleen Quinlan and Jolie Richardson. A lot of people that were very popular in the late 90s and early 2000s and who uh, aren't in things anymore, much to the, uh, much to the loss of everyone. <laughs> the river goes on. I love this movie. I've always loved this movie. And I mean, if you really want to talk back, talk, uh, talk about taking me back to high school. I don't think I saw this movie when it came out. I mean, I, mean, I, can, I can guarantee you I didn't. I was 10. I wouldn't have been allowed, I wouldn't have been allowed to. And uh, my family didn't get cable until I was like 12 or 13. Before that, we had, we had the big four channels. You know what I mean? I, I woke up to Saturday morning cartoons because that was the only time of the week that you could see cartoons except for after, after school. And usually I was in trouble. So <laughs> I didn't get my after school cartoons all the time. But once we got cable, man, we got the Science Fiction Network, which is now the Sci-Fi Channel, but at that time it was the Science Fiction Network, man. And what they didn't tell you is that the Sci-Fi Channel was actually the Horror Channel at night. And I'm pretty sure the first time I ever saw Event Horizon was on Channel 52, which is uh, was at least the... Sci-Fi Channel back when back when it was on good old-fashioned standard definition cable back in the day. I saw it edited down. Um, for those of you listening in Australia and um, the United Kingdom, that means very little in America. <laughs> the 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 vast majority of the gore in this film was left in, including Sam Neill's badly rendered missing eyes <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know or are not familiar with event horizon please go watch it it's not a movie that can be spoiled I, I i could not imagine anybody watching this film and not being able to predict start to finish almost everything that's going to happen it's not well written and the plot is not why i want you to watch it i want you to watch it because the feel and the atmosphere of this film are fucking Perfect. The movie's set in 2047. It follows a crew of astronauts on a rescue ship called the Lewis and Clark trying to find the eponymous Event Horizon. For those of you who aren't in the know, an Event Horizon is the uh, name for the entrance to a black hole. I think um, I think that might be a, uh, what's his name, an old, old Stephen Hawking addition to the canon, but I'm not 100% sure. I'm probably completely wrong on that. But they're trying to find the Event Horizon. Uh, Actually, they're not trying to find the Event Horizon. They're just going on a mysterious trip to the outer rings of Neptune, or outer orbit of Neptune, and aren't told until they get there that they are actually searching for the Event Horizon, which was missing seven years prior. Upon arriving... Around the event horizon, the crew is informed by Sam Neill that the ship actually did reappear, and they are given the uh, the skinny on the secret details about the ship and its actual purpose. The event horizon is a experimental craft that is uh, trying to create a wormhole. It's trying to create wormhole drive uh, to transit. I, 
stammered over all that. I'm trying to tell, I'm trying to say this all smooth. I'm like practicing every time I do these in case I ever get interviewed by people. I'm trying to learn how to talk without uhs and ums all the time. So uh, if I, if I sound a little weird, it's because I'm doing it. I'm trying to keep up this good rhythm. They find out that the event horizon went missing because uh, the experiment was successful. This ship has a drive inside of it that tears open the fabric of space-time, classically illuminated by Sam Neill, folding the pages of a dirty magazine and poking a hole through it so that you can see that when those two pages touch, they are actually the same space. What is the fastest, or what is the shortest distance between two spaces? A straight line. No, it is no distance. Great, great, great moment. And uh, repeated. A lot as a science fiction trope throughout a lot of things. I don't know if Event Horizon did it first. <laughs> I highly doubt it. Um, but it was a, it's, a great, it's a great way to illuminate that idea of uh, part of space-time being just in one spot at one moment. It's super cool. And uh, that sort of super cool mix of high-tech, low-fidelity mixed up stuff is really what's good about this movie. I mean, the ship them the, the ship that they're on, Lewis and Clark, looks like a shitty tugboat, which is basically what it is. It's a it's a rescue ship. It's a tugboat being sent out to go bring in this much classier, sleeker, sexily built event horizon super freighter type ship. And when you're on the Lewis and Clark, you know, they're they've they're talking about, you know, astral drives and, and cold sleep and they're getting put in suspended animation. But also they get out and they start smoking in the middle of fucking in a, in a spaceship. He's smoking a cigarette. People are walking around. They got porn up on the walls by their beds. But their beds are like these crazy built into the wall, like kind of super bunks. And, you know, there's like the nice, like cool lighting and spacesuits that are clipping on, but also, you know, people have tattoos and they're grimy and they're wearing nasty like undershirts. That shit's perfect, man. And it really sets it really sets the stage for you being afraid for these characters. I bring up blue collar stuff a lot because I feel like it's oddly underrepresented in horror, despite the fact that the king of horror himself is a fucking blue collar guy who's now the least blue-collar creation that can exist. He's an extremely wealthy white New Englander uh, who lives in fucking New England still. I digress. But, you know, you don't really get to see a lot of blue-collar-type people in horror for some reason. Everybody, and Actually, I know what the real reason is. It's because blue-collar working stiffs work nine-to-five jobs, and you don't have time to to go on fucking adventures and shit if you work a nine-to-five job. That's why you rarely see shit like Session 9 or even Event Horizon, which is basically about a bunch of skilled professionals. You know, you got a, you got a guy who's a, a, a manager, you've got a doctor, then you've got an EMT who's, you know, a, a fast-talking black dude who's kind of a hoe, and engineers and, you know, whatever, tradesmen. It's a, it's a bunch of tradesmen on a ship who've got to bring this soft-skinned, peppery-talking Englishman uh, to, to, the, to this, this, this magic 
missing ship, this legend in space in Neptune, where they're, I think they say it in the thing, they're six million kilometers from like the closest uh, pickup point or something like that. That's a, you know, for the sense of scale. And it's just so much fun because it reminds me of jobs I've had and people that I've known. And there's this, this feeling that I've always, I always like, uh, when I see, especially sci-fi, and I don't know how to describe it other than it's the, the fear you have of being on a job site with your gloves off <laughs> and you know, you might get an oily metal splinter in the base of your thumb. I know that might not mean anything to anybody, even people that are actual like blue collar folks that are listening to this. You mean, what the fuck are you talking about? But I just remember that's one of the nastiest things I've ever heard was, uh, and I don't even, I can't, I was just a young kid and it was basically like, you got to watch out for slippery surfaces because the guy set his hand down and he let his hand slide across a, a, a bit of sheet metal and a sliver of steel sliced the tendon right, be- right below his, his, his thumb's furthest joint. So just, and all of a sudden his thumb wasn't working and his hand's covered in blood and you couldn't even feel the cut. But you can feel it when you're thinking about it more than you can when it actually happens. And that's kind of that good, that's that, that's that feel that I like. That's Event Horizon. Gritty, grimy, you know, a, a, a nasty cut on an important part of your body. That's not going to kill you, but it's just going to, it might get infected. And <laughs> maybe nothing that I just said makes any sense in the least but that is that is what i like that's what i love about event horizon smoky rooms on ships in space and the 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 view of a digital readout through that little bit of haze and the way that light shines up through the smoke it's fucking perfect and it can be said and a lot of people know this and some people don't that event horizon is heavily not based on, but borrows very heavily from The Shining. Uh, I've actually heard it described as The Shining in Space, and I I think it might have actually been sold as that by Paul W.S. Anderson. There's even a a scene, not in every cut of the film, by the way, where they replicate the famous uh, blood elevator from The Shining, which you don't remember. An elevator opens and blood comes out of it, which is actually a very difficult... uh, shot to make apparently um i digress but it's done in one of the uh, airlocks in this and i think they might have gotten in trouble and they had to take it out but it's still in some cuts and i can't remember because i saw it a couple weeks ago and i can't remember if i saw it in that one too but it doesn't really matter uh the film as it progresses gets steadily more and more intense as the stakes increase and increase and increase soon after they get on the ship they find out that the ship itself has uh, a bit of a feeling to it. it. It obviously went somewhere, and they find out through recorded ship logs that where the people went is probably hell. This is where the f- problems with the movie's plotting happen. There is a lot of uh, dialogue for dialogue exposition. Uh, I-, I-, I would call it, CSI Miami exposition (laughs) to move the plot along where it's people 
solve their own people solve problems that they don't have any evidence for by <clears throat> suddenly having an understanding of what's going on. I, I it's it's kind of difficult to explain, but basically somebody asks a question, so what you're telling me is that blah 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 blah? Well, it could only be this or this. And what's the odds of that? Seven thousand to one. Kind of, you know, and like moving up and moving up and moving up. And so this the the the, the plot is kind of just like, hey, we're going to the next, we're going to the next setting. Uh, don't worry. Don't worry about it. Because you kind of like, you, you, you wait for saying like, how, why do you think that the ship is alive again? Are you telling, doctor, are you telling me that this ship is alive? <laughs> I think it's actually, a, it's actually a line. And I still, I, as many times as I've seen this, I still can't remember the exact evidence for most of, of, of what happens in this little transitory part. So what happens is they get on there. One of their number gets sucked into the gate and then he comes pulled back out and the, he goes a little crazy and Sam Neill starts going super crazy and uh, stuff starts happening and it's hard to remember exactly what goes on at what moment. I'm telling you, I literally, I, I literally watched this movie again two weeks ago and uh, <laughs> stuff just happens and it's great. And I don't care that I can't remember the exact moments just because the, the, the atmosphere is so cool that you're like, oh, that's fine. Go ahead. A guy goes into an airlock. He almost gets he does get sucked out. His eyes explode into terrible CGI giblets. Uh, the bad CGI is rife throughout this movie. It's amazing. Just like you could tell somebody worked their ass off for hours to do stuff that like <laughs> There are television commercials now that blow this movie out of the water. But, you know, hey, like I said, the river moves on. As we get a little bit deeper, Sam Neill walks into the open gate. And at that point, he gets superpowers. Uh, he cuts out his eyes and has crazy cuts all over his body. And the Lewis and Clark ship is blown up. They find that the only possible way for them to survive is to stay in the... Uh, suspension pods inside the front end of the event horizon after they detach it from the back end because the back end is going to get sucked into a wormhole how the wormhole only sucks in parts of the ship that are connected to the ship doesn't make really any sense physically but who gives a shit the entire umbilical corridor between the engine and the ship's crew quarters and the, the driving operational parts of the ship uh is just lined with explosives that are huge lunch boxes, basically with digital counters on counters on the side of them. Why would you have, why would you have an emergency umbilical that has a five minute countdown? It should just explode. It's an emergency umbilical to detach a fucking black hole, but who gives a shit? It's so fucking cool. The movie rips off the shining the interior of the ship rips off alien and not even like the ship from alien, but like the, 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 the space jockeys ship, the one that they actually find the alien pods in. It's insane to think that people were even living on this, this ship because it looks like it looks evil. And that's how they made it on earth before they send people into space in it, which I'm fine with. I would have liked it even more if they would have got there. Like, you know, I don't think, that all of this like curvaceous uh 
non-ergonomic construction in everything in this ship makes much sense. Maybe don't. Yeah. Uh, we, we didn't build this like this on purpose, not a seamless alien construction, but it's, it's so fucking great to look at that. I can't complain about it. And this isn't a review. If it was, it's an absolutely go watch it. Please go watch that movie. Oh my God, it's free on Netflix, I think, which is as much as anyone should ever have to pay for it. But when I first saw that film as a kid, it was everything I wanted. I loved horror and I love sci-fi. And you know, you think there would be more of that combined on the sci-fi channel, but generally there's not a lot of good in space horror movies and a lot of the ones that have been made like the the overall quality of horror movies in space is fucking low you've got what ghosts of mars which is i don't even know if that's a horror movie that's uh salt on precinct 13 with fucking zombies and a red dust filter (laughs) and then you have jason x which is what it is you have alien Perfect. Aliens 2. Amazing. Aliens, all of the other Aliens movies. Ranging from competent to fucking garbage. And then after that, not a lot of horror movies that I can think of. You know what I mean? And especially none with this kind of, like, aesthetic. I've always heard of Alien described as the haunted house movie in space. Like that's what it's supposed to be. Like, yeah, you know, it? but it's really, it's really more of a a monster movie. It's a very basic monster movie too. Uh, every monster movie has, you know, it's a it's a thing, and it's bigger than the thing that it should be, and it's killing people one by one. And there's a a government or bureaucratic force that wants to keep it alive. And at some point you find out that it's having eggs. And usually the point where you find out that it's having eggs is the point where you're like, okay, we have to fucking exterminate this thing before that's the world or whatever is overrun with them. So it's, 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 it's really, it's a creature feature. Don't, don't, don't impale me on that. But, uh, Event Horizon is a haunted house movie, dude. Straight up. And it's, you know, they're like the ship is trying to kill you. Which you never really get, by the way. They say that, but it, it's very obvious that Sam Neill is trying to kill them. And then, like, if one lady hallucinates and accidentally falls down a hole, which is, you know, it is what it is. The other guy tries to put himself out of an airlock, but he was literally in hell. So I don't know what the fuck the, 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 the ship is doing to him. And then, yeah, pretty much everything else is Sam Neill killing people. He plants a bomb. He does a fist fight. With 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 Lawrence Fishburne before Lawrence Fishburne became Morpheus and learned how to kick people's ass six ways from Sunday in slow motion, you know. But that's a that that that's it, man. It's a it's a haunted house movie in space, and it ends with a a very classic uh, double double dream wake up stinger, <laughs> which I love. And uh, you can tell at the end that Sam Neill was like. Guys, I, I can't wear the green things over my eyes anymore. I, I don't want to do that. It doesn't look very good anyway. I've seen it daily. <laughs> or maybe he's actually supposed to be eyeless because his normal ass eyes are in it. 
uh, at, there's a thing where he's supposed to have pulled his eyes out because everybody that goes to hell pulls their eyes out because you don't need eyes to see down here or you don't need eyes to see where we are going. That's the line. And, you know, it's the, oh, I'm showing you my eyeballs and they're looking at you. And then when you see him later, he has missing eyes that are badly CG'd out of his head. But then when you see him after that, he has his just normal ass Sam Neill eyes, like human eyes and like all the makeup. So they're extra brilliant and they're very much eyes, you know, his blue ass piercing eyes. Uh, so I think that maybe they, they forgot to do that or they just, they ran out of money or someone was just like, that looks like shit. You could have just put some contacts in, you know, just put good old fashioned black contacts. Why the fuck not? Who knows? You know, uh, if I ever go back in time and remake Event Horizon, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll fix that one stupid thing. But I think that's enough on Event Horizon because we're about to talk about Hyperion, the 1989 science fiction novel by American writer Dan Simmons, my boy, friend of the podcast. Not really, but f- Dan, if you're out there, Dan. I have abandoned Stephen King as my father, and you are my dad now. So I'm going to call you Dad Simmons from now on. Uh, This is the first book in the four-story Hyperion Cantos, which is my favorite book series ever. Yes, ever. Uh, Fuck Fuck the Dark Tower. I'm saying it. This one's better. And it is. It really is. It's actually, it's it's an overall better story and it ends. Sorry. But uh, I still love the Gunslinger. The Hyperion Cantos is hard to surmise easily. Basically, seven pilgrims are going to the time tombs on Hyperion. This, this book just punches you in the fucking head page one and says you are in a science fiction universe right now and you're like hey can you just let me adapt to this slowly i'm from out of i'm I'm not from this time period or this universe or very clearly this planet and they say no you're with me now you do what i want to do <laughs> if i had a if i had a copy of the book man uh, I would, I would, uh, I would read just the first two paragraphs because they almost filtered me out. I, I almost, it was almost too much for me because it's just, you, you start getting hit by all this jargon, techno core, AIs, fat lines, fast translate, the, the console, he's on a world playing a fucking, it, the book opens on a guy on his spaceship floating over an alien planet watching lizards fly around in a lightning storm as he just smashes a Steinway piano and just plays some fucking random whatever on it, which is wonderful. And it's just, you're just getting hit by all of this jargon and all of this stuff. And you are in medias res as a complete stranger, complete stranger in this world. And it is done so well that if you get over the initial, like, it, it's basically like doing a cannonball into a hot tub that's cranked up to 103. It's going to hurt. But like a second later, you're like, okay, I don't want to leave. This is fire. Let me, let me just read you the premise. This is the premise of it on Wikipedia. 
In the 29th century, the hegemony of man comprises thousands of planets connected by far-caster portals. The hegemony maintains an uneasy alliance with the Technocore, a civilization of AIs. Modified humans known as ousters live in space stations between stars and are engaged in conflict with the hegemony. Numerous outback planets have no far-casters and cannot be accessed without incurring significant time dilation. One of these planets is Hyperion, home to the structures known as the Time Tombs, which are moving backwards in time and guarded by a legendary creature known as the Shrike. On the eve of an ouster invasion of Hyperion, a final pilgrimage to the Time Tombs has been organized. The pilgrims decide they will each tell their tale of how they were chosen for the pilgrimage. That is a pretty concise premise of the first book. And if you think you're just over the hump of technology and uh, new things that you're going to be introduced to, you are not. This series starts throwing punches second one and does not stop until the last page of uh, the rise of endymion which i even just saying the name of that novel out loud makes me feel fucking emotional because of how good it was and how like crazy crazy adept dan simmons was in wrapping the entire thing up together i'll start this off right now please don't even listen to me for the rest of this podcast get online go to audio boom or audio go to audible Go to Libby, go to your local library if you're allowed to, go to it online, go to Amazon, I don't care, buy, rent, swindle or steal Hyperion and listen to it or read it or if you're blind, feel it out on Braille, I don't care, get the words inside of you and then hit me up. I cannot recommend this book enough. I'm not even getting into it yet. I cannot recommend this book enough. It's so fucking good. It's so fucking good amazing i love it i don't care if you think i'm overhyping it i don't think i can i really don't think i can so without i'm not going to go into much more of the plot but i will tell you this part one all of the parts are uh there's seven six seven ish and they are all like in the canterbury tales they are told by one of the pilgrims so there's a priest there's a soldier there's the consul the poet scholar the detective and uh there's one other guy but he doesn't get to tell his story Just don't worry about it it's not even a it's not even a, a fucking uh, it's not even a, a a spoiler but part 1 the priest's tale the man who cried god is one of the single best sci-fi horror short stories i ever read if you pick this book up just to read that one section it's worth it because that is and i guarantee you this without without even a doubt in my mind that is going to be one of the best little short horror stories you've ever read it's a fucking the twilight zone would have loved to have had that on there it blows anything on black mirror out of the way it is fire and it's fucking perfect start to finish and even the uh even the addendums to it later are great it's so good that the functionally speaking this the 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 third and fourth novels in the series are based fairly strictly along all of the premises that are laid down in it all of which are new the second that you're learning about them in the moment in the story ah fuck hyperion it's also not just great because it's like a techno geek 
wonderland of oddity and strangeness. It is also just philosophically a series of of just wonderful arguments and ideas being brought forward and not in like the I don't know how to say this lightly bad way that a lot of modern authors try to approach complex philosophical and political topics uh which is with the deftness deftness and understanding of a crab eating the eye stalk of another crab it is really good for sure at least on the level of of dune if not better and it is you have to understand that this is this came out in 1989 right yeah so i was two and it is a better description of mankind's addiction to and over-reliance on, on fast technology, basically on the internet. This thing is talking about the internet before the internet became the internet that it is. With just the sort of most basic understanding of, of interconnected com- computers that they had in 1989, and I, I would assume that Dan Simmons is probably very well-read technologically, with just that, he basically knows what Twitter is <laughs> and how shit it is in 1989 and, you know, all of the, all of the other things. It, it, it's very much, like I said, moving down the river, but in the case of, of Simmons and his Hyperion Cantos, uh, understanding where the river is going to be going because we just keep doing the same stuff over and over again. That's the point of history, you know. It's new characters, it's new technology, and it's new locations, but a lot of the time it's the same sort of people and it's the same sort of issues being brought up again and again and again and again. Uh, major themes that are up and are, are brought up in this is stuff, you know, like the uh, Israel-Palestine conflict and and, and, and and Palestinian displacement, but it's, you know, done in the future and in a lot more interesting ways than you would think somebody would be able to do in a sci-fi novel given the kind of novels that you, you run into nowadays which you know I, I feel like I, I just need to probably start reading more and I need to start reading more based not on I don't know whatever popular reading lists are coming out because they're not rewarding me with the kind of good content that I need and I'm looking to novels written when I was two or before I was born for really, really, really good, insightful stuff. Um, and then we start talking about Keats. <laughs> but the, throughout this, also, you know, if you this isn't just a horror novel. It's a, uh, a war novel. It's a seedy Hollywood uh, rags to riches to rags story. <laughs> it's a... a f- Fucking noir detective story, uh, historical political revenge thriller, because each story is is done in a different way. And by the way, every one of the Hyperion Canto stories is is different too. With the exception being three and four are kind of uh, 
one long story side or front to back, but my God, my God, is it good? Uh, Hyperion, the first book is for sure the best of the four, but not by such a margin that you won't enjoy the rest of them or that you will feel like you've been slighted by some, uh, precipitous dip in quality it's not going to be like the dark tower series where you 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 find yourself really 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 trying to remember what the fuck happened between drawing or between wolves of the Kala and the dark tower uh, book seven and book five i think it is song of Susanna is book six there it is i can't remember almost anything that happened in that book. i think that's a very very long book about a lady giving birth to one guy who's a piece of shit that dies. <laughs> oh man, the, the Dark Tower books. I gotta, I gotta talk about those. I, I don't think I'll ever be able to because I cannot see myself rereading the Dark Tower series ever. I don't have a year to do that. It would be, I would have to have been paid money. If I become more wealthy or more famous and I can do like a thing for charity, that would be the thing I do for charity. Purposefully reread and then talk about the entirety of the Dark Tower series. I'll reread Gunslinger anytime. Maybe even, no, actually, I'll only reread Gunslinger because if I read any of the other ones, I'm going to end up doing it again on accident because, you know, for all of my shit talking, I do love Stephen King and those books have a very very precious spot in my heart but i don't want to talk too much more about hyperion uh, i could go into it for forever but i almost want to save it because i would like to reread it again actually because of how much gets just referenced back it, it's a really well wo woven story start to finish and i mean not just throughout hyperion but also all the way into endymion rising which is the the fourth book all, all, stuff all goes back to it and then forward in the back and then forward in the back. It's, it's pretty amazing. The kind of things that get brought back up and the kind of characters that survive to the end. And I'm bringing, I'm, I'm thinking of Fallen Vendimian again and it's making me sad. I read all of these within a few, within a, a few weeks. I think it took me about a month and a half. Uh, burn through them. Burn through them. And I think you will too if you check them out. I mean, I, I don't, I try not to steal, steer you guys wrong. I might. I, I, I might not. I don't know what's going to happen. But please, if you get a second, check out Hyperion. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Yeah. And uh, with that, I think I'm going to cut it. I think that's, that's, that's going to be the episode. Thanks a bunch for sticking it out with me. I know that that first part was really long, but it felt good. It felt good to me to talk about that stuff. And it felt good hearing it as I was talking about it. And I think, uh, I think it'll land well. If you're new to the program, please subscribe. Please comment. Please like this. Please star it, heart it. You know, show me some love wherever you're listening to this, just so that, you know, anybody else that's coming by might think about walking down this little dark hallway into the West Side Fairy Tales and our West Side Fairy Tales horror and Lit Club, I hope that you had a good time while you were here. And if you did, go ahead, hit one of those likes, hit a review. If you didn't, hey, leave me a bad review, and maybe I'll 
maybe I'll, I'll, I'll turn this whole ship around just for you. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're the guy that will convince me finally that I am actually garbage. If you're new to this and you don't know, this is not a regular story episode. I hope you didn't stick this out for over an hour. Only now to just realize that I am not going to be telling a horror story today. Uh, the regular season is going to continue. The regular stories are going to continue in two weeks, I believe it is, with my story, The Three Flights of Mateo Jefferson, which I think might be the second best story of the year. I really like it. And then we're going to be getting into uh, a lot of announcements with that. The lead up to the fifth season of this, which I I feel like I may have announced it a million times, but I don't know yet. I You know what the thing is, is I, I still haven't 100% settled on what I want to be the title. I know what the title of the theme song is. The title of the theme song is Smoke and Ink. And uh, I'm probably going to play that for you guys at the end of the next episode. But until then, you're just going to have to wait and hopefully you'll find out a little bit more about this. If you like talking, hearing me talk, and you want to talk to me, go to the Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club on Facebook. We have a ton of other people there that are like-minded fans of the show. They talk about horror. I put my reviews of stories that I do there of uh, my reviews I do of horror media that I do there and uh, people have been talking about it. We talk about these horror and lit club episodes. We talk about the stories that have happened and the stories that have come out. And, uh, you know, even during this uh, coronavirus thing, it's a good place to pick up new things to read and watch and listen to. So, you know, facebook.com slash Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. If you really like me and you like the sound of my voice and you want to hear all this stuff without advertisements, uh, go to our Patreon. And for just a dollar, you can get early access to episodes like this one and, more importantly, the regular episodes on the feed. $5 or more, you get your name on the website. You're going to get PDFs of our monthly story. And for $10 or more, you're going to get merchandise, which I think is pretty cool. People tend to like that stuff. Bookmarks, stickers, $20 or more, I'm going to send you a signed poster which is also pretty cool i hope <laughs> so uh you know if you get a second check that out and more important than that if you guys like this show we need to find new people to join our audience uh, most of the uh, everyone that knows about me knows about me from the true crime world so uh, i'm trying to spread out to audio drama and stuff so you know if you if you find yourself in those parts, if you find those, you find yourself, you know, amongst other horror fans, uh, tell them about me. Spread the love. Say, hey, uh, this idiot Tyler's got a pretty good podcast, and sometimes he makes half-assed points about stuff he says he likes, but doesn't seem to remember all that much about. <laughs> I think I'm gonna leave you guys there. Send me a line. Hit me up at Gmail, WestsideFairyTales at gmail.com if you want to tell me how off-topic and, and and ridiculous I am. And if you don't like sending emails because you're, uh, you're younger than me and, and, and a little bit more technologically hip, at WS Fairy Tales on Twitter. I also got a Twitch. I play video games. You can come hang out there, twitch.tv slash Tyler. It's not a, a big thing. It's just basically me trying to, I don't know, do something with the time that I spend playing video games, which is too much of my life. And uh, especially go check out our YouTube, which is just Westside Fairy Tales on 
YouTube. I'm doing monthly or weekly reviews of uh, random horror stuff that I come across, you know, mostly movies, but also books. And, you know, uh, the, the more I go, I, I, if, I, if I go to haunted houses and stuff, I'll, I'll review anything. And, uh, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's pretty much it. Come back in a couple weeks. Three flights of Mateo Jefferson. Second to last episode of the regular season. We've got one more episode after that. Another horror and lit club. And then the, uh, the nice, long, much-deserved summer break where hopefully we'll be allowed outside so that I can go and lay underneath the sun and have it turn me into a chocolate chip cookie. And until then, next time, as always... Stay safe out there. The West Side Fairy Tales is written, read, scored, and produced by Tyler Bell. Episode artwork by Yui Bree Love. All content copyright here in 2020. WSF Productions, LLC. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.